Good evening. Welcome to Tuesday Evening Chapel. This is the second in the series of the, of the Dickerson Holiness Lectures on Pulpit Evangelism. It is our privilege to have Reverend Dr. Evangelist Norm, he, he prefer Norm Moore with us. He's a tenured evangelist in the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, he is a native of Pueblo, Colorado, and has a story between there and here that, uh, that is a testament of God's grace. Would you welcome him, please? We move into this room um, so that we can be transformed into Christ-likeness just a little more. Amen? Uh, would you say the theme with me? We are being transformed into Christ's likeness. And I hope that's true for you today more so than it was in September when we began. Let's say it one more time. We are being transformed into Christ's likeness. The songs we're going to sing, uh, like last night, the songs we're going to sing are going to recognize God's presence, going to help us get in tune with him, and also help our hearts respond to what he has to say to us. So stand and sing. Two, let's see. Hear the cry of our heart. Hallelujah. All that we have, all that you want from us, we give to you. Hallelujah. All our concerns, all our distractions, we give to you. Hallelujah. All of our hope, and all of our joy, we give thanks to you. Hallelujah. And all of the possibilities of being transformed into Christ-likeness, we give you praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. You may be seated. Good to be together tonight. Thanks for giving priority to the evening. I prayed for you today. And I need to tell you that I'm impressed and proud of what I sense going on here. Only God knows the total stories that's behind each of our lives that brought us to this time and this place from the moment we met the Lord as our Savior to this current time of ministry preparation. And I'm really excited and impressed with the potential that's uh, embodied in this group of students here and the future that God has in mind for you. And it's an honor for me to be with you again this evening. I remember a Sunday night service at the conclusion uh, my wife and I were invited by some laypersons to join them at a nearby restaurant for what they called food and fellowship. <laughs> I don't miss on those opportunities very often. I said, that sounds like a good idea. You go in your car, we'll go in ours, we'll follow you. Wherever you choose, be okay with me. They went down to the main boulevard of that town and parked in the parking lot adjacent to the restaurant of their choice. As I recall, I was the first one in the entrance, and we were greeted by a very enthusiastic hostess. 
She grinned broadly, and she clutched an ample supply of glossy plastic laminated menus. She asked us how many in our party, and I estimated the crowd, and she ushered us over to a corner booth. And we slid around that vinyl upholstered booth, and then she dealt out the menus. And folks, as they browsed the menus, were commenting on what they wanted to order. Pie a la mode, hot fudge sundae, cheeseburger, chili. I heard the place was famous for white New England clam chowder. And believe it or not, I was trying to eat lightly that evening. <laughs> While we discussed what we would order, our attention was distracted with a peculiar sound. Sounded kind of like... It wasn't subtle, it was obvious. I ignored it at first. The waitress came to take her order. We placed her orders and she left, but that noise didn't. A few seconds later, here it came again. The more you get to know me, the quicker you'll conclude my temperament does not tolerate unresolved issues very well. I said, did you hear that? They said, yes. Did you? Me too. What is it? I don't know. What is kind of irritating. But I didn't want to make a big deal about it. Well, here came the lady with the food. And she distributed around the table. And I was the only preacher at the table. And I guess somewhere in the Bible, there's a verse that says if there's a preacher at the table, he's it to say the prayer. <laughs> so I bowed my head and said an appropriate table grace. And during my prayer of thanks for our food, here came that noise again. Psst. Simultaneous to my prayer was my realization of what's going on here. You see, attached to the wall, behind the booth, up against the ceiling, there was a plastic wood grain box, a time dispenser. Periodically, it would fog the room with a mist. I don't know tonight if it was room deodorizer or bug spray. <laughs> but what I know is when I bowed my head to say the prayer, I felt the mist <laughs> hit the back of my balding head before it filtered down into my clam chowder. And the soup tasted rather gross. And politely, but immediately, I lost my appetite and silently decided, I'm never coming here again. Well, a few years later, I was driving through that same town on the interstate, and it was noon, and I'd been driving a couple hours, and I was getting hungry, needed to take a break, and I pulled off on the off-ramp and headed down that same boulevard, and I noticed that same restaurant, but attached to the windows was a big old poster. You know what it said? under new ownership and management. I said I'd give them a try. I stepped inside. Whoa! It was totally redone. Heavily padded, thick, opulent, cushy carpeting. Color-coordinated wallpaper and booth upholstery. Very attractive diagonal redwood paneling. Brand new menus and a relocated bug spray. 
it seemed as though the new owner and manager walked in with absolute total authority and he surveyed the entire environment and he saw some opportunities for improvement and since he was the new owner and the new manager he began to implement some changes and evidently he said let's tear that out let's replace that let's move that paint that and you're fired and the bottom line was a significant improvement. Every change he made was for the better, none for the worse. He had the authority to do so because he was the new owner and the new manager. And the question before us this evening, are you currently positioned in your relationship with Jesus where you can truthfully say you're living under his ownership and management. Paul works on the subject in 1 Thessalonians. At chapter 5. And we'll begin reading at verse 12. Now we ask you brothers to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. What's he talking about? Living under new ownership and management. He begins at verse 12 and 13 by moving in on our attitude and behavior towards our ministerial leaders. He says, now we ask you brothers, I got to call time out there. That term, brothers, in the original language I've read is a gender-neutral term used for both male and female born-again believers in the context of the church. It's important to understand that up front, Paul is not writing to the sinner out in the world. His intended audience is the believers in the church at Thessalonica. Some call it Thessalonica. I'm not nervous about that. Pretty obvious. Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's get that understood to the, at the beginning. Paul is not writing to the unsaved out in the world. This is a letter to the church, believers who knew the Lord, who'd heard the gospel. Okay, why is that so important? This term brother shows up at least one time in every chapter and in a few minutes we'll inch our way down to verse 23 where he says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, I want us to all be on the same page who you refers to. He's writing to believers who knew the Lord. 
We ask you, brothers, to what? Respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Next, hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Next, live in peace with each other. You and I are responsible for our attitude and our behavior towards our leadership in the church. I know preachers aren't perfect. I'm one of them. But we're still God called. Reminds me of the description of John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Did you ever read that verse? It's been in the book for years. <laughs> there was a what? Man. Not an angel. Not a deity. Didn't turn a trinity into a quartet. There was a man. But he sent from God. You and I are responsible for our attitude towards ministerial leaders to whom we're accountable. And the context bears the meaning. Evidently, there was a wrinkle there at this church that Paul had to address. Respect, hold in high regard and love because of their work, live in peace. At verse 14, he goes to another subject. And we urge you, brothers, there's that term again, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Four instructions for us out of that 14th verse. First he says, warn those who are idle. Sometimes folks are not productively involved in God's work, conscientiously deploying their time and talent and possessions because they're lazy, they're apathetic, they're negligent, they're complacent, lightweights. And Paul says, candidly, warn those who are idle. And it means, frankly, wake up and get with the program, will you? Next, he says, encourage the timid. There's a difference between the one who's idle and the one who's timid. Sometimes folks are not productively involved in God's work, conscientiously using their giftedness because they're lazy and apathetic and complacent. But other times, they're not maximally involved because they're handicapped with inferiority feelings. They're shy and they're timid. They're inhibited. They don't need to be beat bloody. They need to be encouraged. Warn the idle, that means wake up and get with the program. But encourage the timid. Come on, I believe in you. I know you can give it. Give it a try. I'll go with you. Here's a book. Let's give it a shot. And God gives us a sense to know the difference between the idle one and the timid one. Warn the idle. Encourage the timid. Third thing he says is help the weak. Isn't that a novel option to criticism? You don't need any spirituality to be a critic. A born fool split in half has enough sense to criticize. <laughs> and last time I talked to the home office, they weren't taking any more applications for critics. They got more than they know what to do with already. Warn the idle, encourage the timid, help the weak. As you pursue your ministries in whatever direction the Lord leads you, you're going to bump into some folks with weaknesses. The last thing they need is some legalistic, perfectionistic critic on their case and in their face. Help the weak. My wife, Vicki, and I have an only child, our daughter, Nikki. She's going to be 35 next month. 
She and her husband, John, live in Lakewood, next door to us in Long Beach. Got two daughters. Tori, that's short for Victoria, she's 13. And Kennedy, she's eight. Kennedy is short for Kennedy. <laughs> when we brought Nikki home from the hospital, she had some weaknesses. What do you think I did with her? How many think I got a cardboard box, put newspaper at the bottom, sprinkle it with kitty litter, set it in a box and put it out in the garage? Said, when you get over your weaknesses, you come in the house and be with the rest of us. Is that what I did? No way. That little eight-pounder took over the whole house. She wanted to eat the craziest times of the night. And I'm not even going to talk about her diapers. <laughs> I remember spending all day Saturday trying to match the uncooperative pattern of gingham wallpaper in the baby's nursery. No wonder those rolls were on sale. <laughs> she had some weaknesses, but we anticipated them and made allowances. She was a newborn in the family. And as you pursue the ministries where God leads you, you're going to bump into some folks that have weaknesses. And the last thing they need is any critic or professionistic hassle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. It reminds me of Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. And as you introduce the Lord to those who come in from the world, they're going to bring their weaknesses with them. And they need to be influenced by one who's living under new ownership and management, who exhibits the fruit of the Spirit in their daily behavior. What's Paul talking about? Verse 14, warn the idle, encourage the timid, Help the weak. The fourth thing he says, be patient with everyone. Why? Because everyone else is trying to be patient with you. Interesting how many times in this passage of Scripture, the fruit of the Spirit shows up, those itemizations. Verse 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. I was perplexed by that verse a little bit. I thought it was a little redundant. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. I thought each other would include everyone else. You know a little homework revealed? Paul is writing to the church. And the context of the verse is always try to be kind to each other in your local fellowship where you're worshiping to whom I'm writing. And to everyone else outside of your local church fellowship with whom you connect day by day. And wouldn't it be a good day when our attitude and our behavior was consistent outside of the walls of the church and inside the walls of the church? Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. You cannot afford the luxury of a grudge. It'll hurt you more than anybody else. Is there somebody you need to forgive? Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Jesus taught, turn the other cheek and forgive 70 times seven. 
But you might be thinking, but you don't know what he did. I don't have a clue what he did. You don't know what she said. I don't have any idea. You don't know how bad I was hurt. I don't have any idea. I'm sorry what you went through. But you and I cannot carry a grudge. We need to love and forgive. Verse 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Always try to be kind to each other inside your local fellowship and be consistent with those outside your local fellowship and to everyone else. Notice verse 16, be joyful always. There's another inference to the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Have you ever noticed that kind of person where the whole room just seemed to brighten up? When they left? <laughs> That's what Paul's working on here. What's he talking about? Living under new ownership and management. Well, I've heard folks naively argue and rebuttal, well, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm not going to act happy and joyful if I don't feel happy and joyful. It doesn't have a thing to do with a unpredictable ebb and flow of a human emotion we call happiness. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. What else does this passage tell us? Pray continually, verse 17. That does not mean stay on your knees 24 hours a day. It does mean stay tuned in to His channel. And once you talk to Him, let Him talk back to you. You ever had one of those phone conversations where all you got to say was, uh-huh? <laughs> oh, my. Really? Well, I think you ought to, uh-huh. <laughs> well, you might want, uh-huh. Well, and they hang up on you. You ever have one of those? Did you ever set the phone down and go turn down the stove and come back and they didn't even know that you were gone? How many times have you and I prayed and God sitting in heaven saying, oh, uh-huh, well, well, you might want to, uh-huh, and you tag it with an amen and hang up on him. When Paul says pray continually, he's not saying stay on your knees 24 hours a day, but he's saying stay tuned in. And once you talk to him, let him talk back to you. Amen. Through meditation and study of his word, through musing, and communing with the Holy Spirit throughout your conscious hours, reading Christian literature, listening to Christian music, public worship, let God talk back to you. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Here's another one. Verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why don't we just admit it? Our initial temptation is to whine and complain and feel sorry for ourselves. Paul says take the high road. Give thanks in all circumstances. What in the world was he thinking when he wrote that? How could that even be practical or realistic? Some of you are in circumstances right now and your initial reaction is not to give thanks. Well, it bounces my attention over to Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works. The term works means focused energy expended. 
in all things. God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Don't be saying you love God if you're not walking in obedience to his will for your life. Call according to his purpose, absolute flawless perfection. Is that what that means? No way. It means cooperatively fitting into his plan for your life to the best of your ability. You know what it sounds like to me? Living under new ownership and management. If you're in that posture and in that relationship, it's quite practical and realistic for all of us to say, God, I thank you in my circumstance because as I relax in the embrace of your relentless tenderness, I trust that you are causing all things to work together for good. I know our initial tendency is to complain, but there's another option as we live under his ownership and management. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We've now arrived at verse 19. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. King James Bible translates it, quench not the Spirit. The word picture from the original language carries the meaning, don't snuff out a candle. Or don't dump a bucket on, of water on the campfire. Don't douse the flame. How do we do that? Two ways. Doing what we don't, we ought not do. Quenches the spirit. And omitting doing what we know we ought to do can also quench the spirit. An impulsive disobedience. Asserting our will over we know what God doesn't want us to do or does want us to do. Remember when the Holy Spirit led you don't say that, but you said it. Don't do that, but you did it. Don't watch that, but you watched it. Quench not the Spirit. On the other hand, remember when the Holy Spirit said, Go there, but you stayed. Say something, but you were silent. Give something, but you held back. Do something, but you were paralyzed. An impulsive disobedience that asserts our own choice and will and preference over what we know God wants can grieve and quench the Holy Spirit. And as you and I seek to live a life under his ownership and management, we'll need to follow the checks of the Holy Spirit in our interior life to avoid doing what we know we ought not do and to do what we know God wants us to do. What else is the passage saying? Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. King James translates that in verse 20, despise not prophetic utterings. What does that mean? It means don't turn off the preacher. That's what it means. <laughs> and in my travels, I don't mind admitting to you, sometimes about the time I turn on, some folks tune out. But these are days when you can't buy everything you hear. That's why we have test everything. Don't turn off the preacher, check him out test everything. In this day, you and I cannot buy everything we hear from public pulpit, printed page, radio, television, DVD, CD, among the evangelical teachings and preachings in our country, there's a lot of filet mignon and prime rib available. But you know what else? There's a whole lot of baloney out there too. <laughs> can't buy everything you hear. Don't turn off the preacher. Despise not prophetic utterings. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. What do you do about it? Verse 21, test everything. Well, how do you do that? You and this book and the Holy Spirit. 
alone and private questing can sort out every issue relevant to your individual relationship with God. I remember Paul writing to the Philippian church, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Is something you're not sure about? Get along with God in this book and spend some time and skip a meal or two or three. Say, God, I got to have an answer on this deal. And God, the Holy Spirit, will lead you. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. We don't need to bounce back to some former days and locations of perfectionistic legalism that skews our concept of God and leaves us to mistakenly conclude he's some mean, irritable grouch who's impossible to please, who puts us on some tedious treadmill of performance-oriented religion that becomes nothing more than salvation by works. While we don't need to bounce to that extreme, we don't need to overreact to the left and liberal opposite extreme of permissiveness and say, God is love, so anything goes, you all have a good time. And the good news is, between those two extremes is a sensible, livable, balanced, biblical holiness. Where God is the sovereign of my life. And there's no place I'd rather go and nothing I'd rather do than to serve him in the context of his will for my life. You and I cannot improve on God's divine strategy for our lives. Our best option between now and checkout time is to say, God, I don't know what you want. But whatever you want, that's what I want. No place I'm not willing to go, nothing I'm not willing to do, nothing I'm not willing to give, nothing I'm not willing to say. I belong to you 100% without competition or reservation or debate or delay. Is that where you're living? Under his new ownership and management? Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. There'll be some places you won't go. There'll be some things that you won't do. And it won't be because some preacher hassles you into conformity. It'll be the result of what the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit has done in your own submissive, yielded life where the top priority of your heart is to please him and do his will and be the person he wants you to be. Now we arrive at verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Looked up that term sanctify. Cleanse, purify, separate, set apart to bring into full development all of oneself to God and his sovereign will and holy purposes. That's a long definition of saying living under new ownership and management. That's something you and I cannot accomplish by ourselves. That's why we have verse 24. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. Is that where you are in your relationship with God? I trust so. But if you've not made that decision and that commitment and that surrender, you'll never have a better time than now or a better place than here. Please stand and bow your heads. Dr. Like will lead us in a invitation chorus and I'd like to offer you a respectful opportunity to take advantage of this prayer altar I don't know what the Lord has said to you you may check your heart and get 
two thumbs up from heaven and a green light and everything's gold. Last thing you need is any humanly manipulative guilt trip from me. So no guilt trips. If you're doing the best you know how, congratulations. God bless you. Carry on. Keep on going. Living under his ownership and management. But if the Lord has spoken to you about issues that you and he need to talk over, issues of commitment and dedication and consecration and obedience and surrender, being cleansed from inherited willfulness and filled with the Spirit, you have a premium opportunity right now to talk to the Lord among friends who love you and care about you. Be glad, glad to pray with you. You may come while we sing. God bless you. Thanks for being here. We have friends here kneeling and family here kneeling that you would want to come and pray with. That verse, humbly at your feet I bow. It's a good reminder for us tonight, isn't it? Humbly at your feet I bow. These are our classmates and friends. We love them. They've come to humbly bow. Maybe you'd like to join them as we sing this last verse to Maybe you'd like to step out and just say, Lord, I humbly bow before you tonight. Everything's okay. I'm right up to date. My life is under new ownership, under new management. But yet, I want to come and say, I humbly bow before you tonight. As we sing this again, come and join your friends classmates and maybe just come and humbly bow before him for a closing time of Holy Spirit we invite you now to look deep into our hearts and into our lives if there's anything that you would show us tonight that we need to surrender to you humbly bow our hearts in submission to you tonight. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to show us the things that we need to surrender to you tonight to be more like Jesus. Open our hearts for a fresh filling of your spirit tonight. The spirit of Jesus. Thank you for your promise. That as you have called us to live a life of holiness. You don't call us to live that way on our own or in our own strength, in our own abilities. But you have promised to empower us and enable us to live that life you've called us to. So Holy Spirit, we ask for a fresh filling.
tonight. And thank you. Thank you as we have humbly bowed before you. Thank you for the promises that your word gives to us and that the spirit confirms in us that what you have called us to be and what you have called us to do you will do in us and for us and we receive that tonight thank you for this good word from your faithful servant tonight we cling to that word and as we go from this place of worship back to our classroom of preparation we go with a new sense that you are with us you are for us and you will lead us in the name of Jesus I pray Amen